History is full of amazing stories and memorable people. But we don't care about them. No hits, deep tracks only. Some of the most influential people in the world have been completely overlooked or just plain forgotten. We're digging deep into the history books to bring you their stories. I'm Phil. And I'm Matt. We're not historians. We're just two guys who enjoy a great story and plenty of laughs. This is History's B-Side. Today's B-Sider is the Pirate Queen. At some point during the last episode, which was Bartolome de las Casas, I said that I knew what my next topic would be and that it wouldn't be a fun one. Because <laughs> we were talking about, you know, a lot of slavery and some slavery. bad stuff. And I was like, oh, next week won't be any better. But yeah, I decided to change my topic up because, you know, we can't do too many heavy topics in a row. So right. this episode, I promise, will have... Sl- less slavery than the last one still a little bit of slavery but less slavery (laughs) less slavery is always good and my plan was to do a topic about someone related to the nazi party which (laughs) that'll come down (laughs) the road (laughs) lighthearted that'll come down the road but i promise this episode will have no nazis in in light of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers having just won the Super Bowl right before we record this episode. This episode will have more swashbuckling and a love <laughs> triangle. Ah, uh, like uh, like Gronk and Tom Brady and I guess Bill Belichick. I don't know who would be the other <laughs> end yeah. of that triangle. A little different than that, but th- this <laughs> this episode has it all. It'll be a really cool story and not as depressing. I also feel that, you know, maybe we're coming off as a little too woke, as it were, in some of other episodes. <laughs> you know, we're I'm always sure I am. <laughs> we're always taking the side of these minorities and you know people that are marginalized. Hey, I mean, this is an Asian woman. It's two. <laughs> well, pretty much everyone in this episode is asian so i don't know if that qualifies as a that's fair <laughs> a minority in this episode but i promise in my solemn oath here to be less woke i promise to side with the criminal and the bad person in this story and i promise to make the criminal look like the good guy <laughs> and you know people don't come to the history's b-side podcast to learn about history you know why they come here? Because we're hysterical. Yeah, they want to hear about and charming. us. Charming. We'll, right? we'll, we'll put a little pause on getting to our main story and make this one a little more casual because we need to be a little more lighthearted around here sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Let's start with one of our favorite topics that you and I both enjoy. Beer. Women. Oh. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I guess. Yeah, I know. You're married. You're married. We get it. (laughs) You've got your woman. I mean, there will be plenty of women intrigue in today's episode. But let's let's talk about beer. Beer is a safe topic. Everybody likes beer. I mean, it is a pirate story, so I feel like the go-to is rum. But it's not a Caribbean pirate, so... Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we should be drinking i don't know what's a chinese beverage i don't know i don't know any chinese beverages sake oh that's not chinese that's japanese well it's japanese <laughs> I, I thought of that but it doesn't matter beer is good enough i feel like they probably brewed beer at some point in time yeah it's if not presently water. i mean so how do you feel about beer matt you like beer i love beer i love beer so much i had to refrain from swearing when i said i love beer <laughs> Trying to keep from getting that explicit rating on our podcast. Yeah, I mean, I definitely got it in some past episodes, but <laughs> I caught myself. Have you ever been on a brewery tour? Yes. It's one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> what, is, breweries. what is uh, one of your coolest brewery tours that you've been on? 
Honestly, I, as I mean, it's a little bit more mainstream now, but the coolest brewery I've been in is is Chicago's Lagunitas HQ. They started in California, but um, I've been there. They, I love it's Lagunitas. really cool. Yeah, I mean that they have for our listeners who haven't been there. I highly recommend you go. But they, their tap room is kind of suspended over their brewery production floor, and then the tour of the brewery takes place on the catwalks above it, and it's just this. Ma- I mean, it's not compared to most craft breweries that I've been in, it's huge. It's this giant warehouse. And the thing I remember most is walking out onto the catwalks. Actually, not even that, but walking into their tap room and through the windows, you can see just this wall of huge brewing tanks. And it's just really impressive. It was like Willy Wonka meets brewery when we walk in there. Yeah. I think they even play like the music from Willy Wonka as you're walking in it. Yeah, the tunnel to the tap room is playing... <laughs> um, uh, what is that song called? I can't remember what the name of it is. It's the, I mean, one of the themes to the Willy Wonka movie. Yeah, but I, I remember like that tour was cool because number one, they give you a ton of samples right at the beginning. And yeah. you're like in this room where you play a bunch of games or whatever before you even start the tour. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, one thing I liked about that tour was just that they didn't so much talk about the brewing process which i guess you're going to a brewery like you might want to learn about that but they told stories about the brewery too yeah well you can i mean the the cool thing is you can kind of see the brewing process (laughs) yeah it's all around you you don't i mean most people don't know exactly what's going on but i mean people get it sort of similar to that a different brewery tour that i went on and i guess if we have any brewery owners workers listening to our podcast um first of all lagunitas just got a free ad so uh maybe you want to hit us up invite us to come to your brewery and <laughs> we'll mention i'll you talk on about beer podcast. on every episode yeah but if we have anyone who you know works at a brewery that is listening one of the things that i enjoy most is you know like i said with the tour not so much focusing on the brewery process but tell us about your brewery like give us stories about it and Everyone can tell you how beer is made because that's what you do for a living. But what makes your Mm -hmm. brewery unique was always cool to me. So a couple years ago, Rita and I went down to uh, Maryland to visit some friends of ours. Uh, Matt, not you, Matt, but Matt and Jess are friends. And they live sort of near Baltimore. And we went to, uh, well, we were there on a Sunday afternoon and it was raining real bad. So we're trying to find stuff to do inside and we decided to go to the Heavy Seas Brewery, which, I mean, if you can't tell from the name, it's a pirate-themed brewery. <laughs> <laughs> and they were having this, like, cleaned-up basic bee brunch event. They had all kinds of, what like... Is, what is that? Does that stand for something? Basic bee? Yeah, it was a whole bunch of basic bitches that were there, and they had... Oh, I see. <laughs> I understand the joke now. <laughs> yeah. That went I mean, right over my head. They had some limited edition... I don't know if they were ciders or what, but they were flavored like mimosas and bellinis. Mm. And I mean, it was pretty good. Not really my taste in beer, but they had that and they had their food truck with some typical basic B foods that you might enjoy at a brunch. But we went there for the tour. Oh, obviously we went to get food and beer as well. But while you're there, might as well take the tour. And they had, I guess at this brewery, they do during the week they do their regular tour but on sundays they have their pirate themed tour so we're sitting there and drinking our beer and eating some food waiting for the tour to start and we're sitting around at our table and all of a sudden we start hearing blasted through the whole tasting room the theme music to pirates of the caribbean (laughs) which for the record i was blasting when we got onto this call to do this episode (laughs) so we're drinking and we hear this music playing and we're like oh this must be the start of the tour because we know it's their pirate tour and you know we're getting ready to start and we turn around and there's this guy dressed in full pirate gear standing by the bar and we're like <laughs> of course so we walk over and he's like are you here for the pirate tour my name's oh, Cap- captain flint <laughs> let me tell you This was the best tour guide I've ever had at a brewery. (laughs) So the pirate tour here, 
Well, let's start with you. What do you know about pirates, real or fiction? Uh, I mean, it, prior to today and looking up some of your quiz questions, it began and ended with the watching of the Pirates of the Caribbean and I guess other <laughs> Disney movies and pop culture references like um, Captain Hook, you know. I mean, you know the big ones, Blackbeard. I don't know anything about them, but I mean, the hook hand, the peg leg, the patch. Pirates are Arg. mysteriously left out of the history books. Probably because they're criminals, but, you know, probably. they're good stories at least. Yeah. Well, and they, I mean, throughout history, they didn't just play the part of criminals, though. As a throwback to one of our episodes, most recently, after we went through the Women of the Revolution, I started watching Turn on Netflix, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen it. It's basically about the Culper spies. Add ad um if any of you guys want to start throwing us money we'll gladly take it to continue (laughs) this um but there's there's these people and i learned about this through the show but there's these privateers that are essentially pirates for hire yeah um, commissioned by the military to raid enemy ships so i mean as even though they are criminals I, i am kind of disappointed that they weren't a more prominent part of our history education Yeah, so that was what was really cool about this tour that we took was their Sunday tour was the pirate tour. So normally they would go through their brewing process, but on Sundays, Captain Flint shows up and leads you through the actual brewery around all the equipment. And he does touch on, you know, the actual process of making their beer, but it's intermixed Mm -hmm. with different stories about pirates. And like, he talks about (laughs) real pirates. So we heard about Blackbeard and Calico Jack and some of these other well-known famous pirates and then he talks about some fictional pirates as well there's some interesting behind the scenes stuff that they talk about related to pirates of the caribbean and ending with a story about one of those privateers um i don't i wish i remembered it a little bit better but story about a privateer who operated out of the baltimore harbor during the revolutionary war so it was cool to have Mm. that like personal connection i guess to the baltimore area and the heavy seas brewery but one of the stories that they told that really stuck out to me was about today's star of the episode, Jing Shi. Jing Shi. Jing Shi was a, obviously a, a woman pirate who operated in the South China Sea and is widely regarded as one of the most successful pirates in all of history. If not the most hmm. successful pirate in all of history. Killing it. Obviously, we're going to get a lot more into Jing Shi's story, but... It's kind of fascinating how we hear all these stories and fictions about pirates. I mean, I feel like that was such a big part of even my childhood was just mm-hmm. hearing pirate stories. And I probably dressed up as a pirate so much when I was a kid. I don't know if I ever... Were you ever a pirate for Halloween? Yeah, that that's what I mean. I feel like I alternated between like a pirate and Batman every year for Halloween. I was Batman. I was definitely Batman. But I, I do remember like going to to disney world on the the pirates of the caribbean ride that's like a very specific memory i have from the first time we went to disney world it's a very stupid ride if you're expecting like the movie to have any impact on it well the i guess the movie was based on it it yes. was the yeah. ride first I think. and then they tried to update part of the ride by putting jack sparrow in it like near the end oh he did just they? <laughs> doesn't fit in with the rest of the ride at all he's just randomly placed yeah boop But I feel like pirates have always been such a part of our life, but we don't know that much about the real pirates, I guess. And Mm -hmm. even the ones that we do, you never hear about Jing Shi, who's the most successful pirate of all time. I mean, you don't really hear about any female pirates. I mean, even as looking this up, if you Google right now historical pirates or most famous historical pirates, she'll show up on about half of the list that you Google. Sometimes she's there, sometimes she's not. And it's just, it's amazing. And I wonder if that's just a cultural translation thing. Like, Jingxi is a little bit harder to say or pronounce or spell than Blackbeard or any of the cool piratey nicknames that you'll hear. Yeah. But it really is a fascinating story. And her story actually starts with prostitution. Matt, <laughs> how do you feel about prostitution? <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I mean, I honestly, I honestly, we know think you it have stories. Be, I've never 
hired a prostitute. That's uh, categorically, I've never hired a prostitute. However, oh gosh, I, I was think expecting it, a I, however. No, I think it would be better off legalized and regulated than being just an illegal thing because it's going to happen. I mean, it does happen. It's going to happen. We promise no wokeness in this episode, Matt. And I, you know, I'm sorry. I can't take that back. But I, I, I categorically have, have never hired a prostitute. Me either. I don't know anything about prostitution. My experience with prostitution is seeing the old brothels in Pompeii when we went to Italy, which was really cool. And if you ever get the chance to go back to Italy, you didn't go to Pompeii, I don't think. No. But if you ever get the chance to go back, go there and look at the brothels because they're amazing and they're like still fully preserved and I mean kind of gross to think about but still kind of a cool thing to see well I mean I feel like back in the day it was way more acceptable like you you hear like in history stories it's just like oh and then there was a brothel over here and it's like that's not how we would talk about yeah. it today it's Let's just be like Walmart here. you go there and pick yeah. out what you want it's like yeah like <laughs> literally it's a people met there people would go have drinks there that doesn't happen today much like a brewery where you go and meet and have drinks <laughs> we finished our tour with captain flint and then we hung around for a while and took a picture with him so i think maybe when this episode finally gets published we'll, i'll post the picture we have of captain flint because he really was <laughs> a great tour guide bringing this full circle and he introduced me to the story of jing shi so this was a little shorter intro but we're going to get into the story of our heroine is that the right term here sure a little bit i mean, of a I mean heroin is shady correct. past i guess but definitely a story worth sharing and <laughs> i mean i i honestly am excited for this episode because i think it's debatable whether or not based on the information you provided whether or not we can really consider them shady let's just or let's take a break and let's get one. into it <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll be right back Wait, don't skip. This isn't the same buy me a coffee ad you've heard a thousand times. Yeah, we know you're sick of listening to the same ads week after week. We are too. And that's why we don't use buy me a coffee anymore. But seriously, we just wanted to take a minute to tell you some ways you can support the podcast on our website, historiesbside.com. The first and most direct way you can support our podcast is by signing up for a membership. You can join at any monthly contribution level but we suggest $10 to start. Though, please feel free to pick whatever fits into your budget. A membership will get you access to monthly boneless episodes, show notes, future episode cues, surprise gifts, and more. We also have on there our merch shop, which includes things like t-shirts, hoodies, hats, drinkware, bags, stuff for adults, kids, and dogs, so you can rep your favorite history podcast everywhere you go. You'll also find extras, including free stickers, bookmarks, and postcards. You can suggest an episode topic, or submit a question about the podcast, one of our episodes, or even about us. That website again is historiesbside.com. And now, back to the episode. All right, let's get into the pirate queen, Jing Shi. Jing Shi was born with the name Shi Yang in 1775 in the Guangdong province of China. She was born during the Qing dynasty. She grew up in a very poor area of Canton, China, and she lived on the streets until about age 13 when she became a prostitute in a floating brothel. 13. Yeah, very young, kind of gross to think about, but as we often say on our podcast, <laughs> those were the, the times. <laughs> <laughs> that should be on a t-shirt those were the times oh. people just died 13 year olds were whores it is what it is <laughs> we're definitely giving that explicit rating now you can cut it out <laughs> so floating brothels were literally just ships that sailed along the coast and with their customers actually on board because the people that operated them believed that the rocking of the boat added an entirely new dimension <laughs> To the sexual pleasures <laughs> and enhance the This wasn't going to get experience. an explicit rating. This is the episode we were going to try to not get an explicit rating. Hey, I said this would be more fun than slavery. Wait, 
have, have you ever had sex on a boat? No. It doesn't add to the experience. Oh, Matt's cool. Matt's having sex on boats. I mean, it's a cruise ship. So it's not really a boat. It's like a floating so city. Cool. Can't wait to get all these emails about Matt's sex life. Hey, whatever gets the listeners interested. <laughs> Everyone has turned off this episode already. We just started talking about our main topic. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Back to the topic. Jingxi was very popular due to her beauty and her hospitality, and she had many high-profile customers. <laughs> what does hospitality mean when you're talking about a prostitute? I feel like that's implied. I don't think that I okay. need to <laughs> explain that one. That's fair. But some of her customers included people like politicians, military commanders, and wealthy merchants. She was very connected, shall we say. She was clever and charming, and she was at times known to trade her services for secrets and information. She was very aware of her influence and what she was capable of, you know, getting what she wanted out of men. Yeah. I, I just was reminded briefly, not to compare her to a prostitute, but I was just reminded briefly of our first episode with Edith Wilson. Yeah, like she knew what she was doing. <laughs> I mean, I guess you're right. I mean, you know what I mean? She like she was aware of her position and the power she held. In a very different way. I mean, I didn't choose the prostitute as the topic. <laughs> In 1801, a pirate commander by the name of Chang Yat, who was the commander of the Red Flag Fleet, raided this brothel. And he was struck by the beauty of Jingxi, so he had her brought to him and demanded that she marry him. Very consensual. Well, it, it actually was. She agreed <laughs> on the condition that they would be equal partners in his pirate organization and that she would share all of the profits 50-50. This is, this is a, a bad B brunch right here. This was a business contract, so not a marriage. Was, what was the, I mean, what was the status of women in China? Was this like a really bold move for a woman to make to be like demanding 50-50 ownership with a man? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, a poor prostitute, and she's at this time 26, so a poor hmm. young prostitute. But he's also, you know, a pirate, so he's not like anyone of serious importance to, I don't know, government in China, but also someone who's probably not known to be very flexible. <laughs> but fair. She obviously has some influence and knows when how to get what she wants out of him in the right circumstances. Yeah. Well, I did, I did read when I was trying to find some trivia questions for you for the end of the show that comparatively pirates were a little uh, like pretty progressive as far yeah. as the gender equality thing. Yeah. And we'll learn about that a little bit as this goes on too. So obviously she got what she wanted. He agreed and they were married and they began to run the red flag fleet together. Now this is kind of a weird point, but the couple adopted a a fisherman who was in his late teens, early 20s, by the name of Chang Po. <laughs> Wait, weren't they like 26? Yeah. So, <laughs> this basically an adult. His name is Chang Po. <laughs> and they adopt him as their stepson. <laughs> and actually, so he had already been aboard and a member of the Red Flag Fleet. He was sort of kidnapped mm. as a fisherman by Chang Yat a few years before Jingxi was actually married and a member of this fleet. But since he was already aboard the ship, it was Jingxi who kind of persuaded her husband to adopt Chang Po as their stepson and made him the sole legal heir to Chang Yat. So strange. And Jingxi and Chang Yat actually had two other sons together, but... They're really not important to the story in any way, so we won't even talk about them. <laughs> adopted fisherman son, important. Yes. Two other sons. Stepson. Not. Adopted fisherman, stepson, grown adult. Immediately upon joining Chang Yat's red flag fleet, Jingxi implemented a strict code of laws for the entire crew. Pirates hmm. who gave unauthorized orders or those who refused to follow orders were executed on the spot without a chance to justify themselves. And pausing right here, for the purpose of the rest of this episode, 
the word executed can just be substituted for beheaded. That was kind of the going way of execution. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Just off with their heads. Right. All seized goods had to be presented for inspection. If any pirate was found hiding or underreporting goods, a part of their body was chopped off depending on the scale of the crime. Wow. Loyalty were messing around. <laughs> loyalty and honesty were greatly appreciated and worthy pirates were rewarded generously, thereby setting an example for the others. Here's where we get into your gender roles being a little bit more liberal among pirates. Female captives needed to be treated respectfully. They were segregated based on their looks. All right, maybe not quite so liberal. <laughs> the weak, pregnant, and unattractive ones were freed as soon as possible. <laughs> well, I feel like that's a positive thing, right? For them, I guess it pays to be ugly or weak or pregnant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the attractive women captives were held back for ransom. The pirates not were so given great. freedom to marry these attractive women under mutual consent. Consent is sexy, Matt. See, that's crazy. Like, I mean, for all the brutality, it's kind of respectable. Like, I mean, it's almost like they got it. They were like, you know what? We're going to treat everybody fair, but... kind of makes you wonder if this was a precedent set by Jingxi or if it was common among other pirate groups. Yeah. I kind of feel like it was a precedent set by Jingxi. But maybe I'm just giving her credit I mean, here. I don't disagree. I mean, this is... A lot of this is pretty surprising. The last part of this was hold that... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, get on the bed. A-hole, get out of here. What the hell are you doing? There's not room over here for you, so you need to skedaddle. Up. I'm leaving all of this get in up. the episode. Get on the bed. Sit, stay. Continue. The last part of this was that infidelity and rape were treated as a serious offense. The offenders were immediately hanged. Or, in the case of consensual premarital sex, both the offenders were executed. In a few cases, (laughs) the man was castrated and the woman had cannonballs tied to her feet and was thrown overboard. Oh my god. I mean, I just said, like, it's kind of respectable. So, like, decent rules... But don't screw around. <laughs> she, she was not messing around. She was laying down the law. So, I mean, was this intended to encourage marriage? I mean... I don't know that I'd say that. I think it was more intended to prevent the distraction of sexual influence, maybe? Hmm. I mean, because, that's fair. That's a solid... That's yeah, a, that they were a really solid deterrent. <laughs> they were encouraged to, if they were going to be with someone, they were encouraged to have a consensual marriage and be loyal to that person. And otherwise, nothing. There was no, I mean, there wasn't even premarital sex, let alone rape or anything like that. Yeah. So like dudes weren't going around like having the time of their lives over and over and over again with right. the whole crew. She also implemented some economic reforms. Number one, all the bounty that they collected was pooled with the ship who made the capture receiving 20%, and the rest of it was put into a general fund to be shared by the whole crew. Hmm. And all money that was collected was used only for the benefit of the fleet to purchase necessary supplies or repairs for ships, rather than being kept by the individuals who found it or pillaged it or stole it or however they got it. Was this, I mean, was this followed? I assume it was followed since... I like the I assume it was followed otherwise yeah the repercussions and though her rules were strict the reforms actually made the red flag fleet extremely successful and it caused other pirate groups to want to merge with them is it to be assumed that the laws that the red flag fleet had in place were unique um, and that other pirate organizations had less effective rules or different rules um, is there any information on the other groups for a comparison I don't know too much about how the other groups would have compared it seems like it was kind of a unique thing because obviously it led to a lot of success by the red flag fleet but the fact that she came in to really implement these rules without really having any piracy experience herself kind of is impressive i guess it it seems like she maybe knew how to operate a business yeah even if it wasn't so much a pirate business she quickly adapted to 
how they operated and found a way to make the crew and the whole fleet work together rather than just focusing on the individual pirate. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty clear even thus far that she had a pretty solid understanding of human nature. And I mean, you can't just put together a set of laws like that off the top of your head, you know, for no reason and have them work that well if you don't know what you're doing. And we kind of talked about the preventing distraction from sexual influence. I wonder if that goes back to her history. Like she obviously knew how to use her own influence to her advantage. And I think maybe she found a way to prevent other women from doing that to infiltrate the the pirate group. At the time that Jing Shi and Chang Yat were married, the Red Flag Fleet consisted of about 200 ships which operated in the South China Sea. Hmm. Chang Yat used his reputation and naval strength to coordinate with smaller rival pirate groups to form a coalition. Working together provided shared profits and resources and protection from the Chinese naval forces and just organization and structure to all these pirate groups. You know, I mean, this might be a good place to interject this, but one of the things I was most surprised by when I was reading up to to find some quiz questions for you was the difference in compensation. And I don't know if this stretched to China and Chinese pirates, but specifically for more European-based pirates, the the average pay for a royal officer, uh, a sailor, was around, adjusting for inflation, $580 a week. The the pirates, uh, you know, in attacking a vessel, the, the sailors, not the captains, would make $3.5 million. $3.5 million. What? <laughs> lucrative business. I mean, why would you be a sailor? Seriously, I mean, it, when you say, I guess I wanted to work this in because when you say, I mean, we have this idea of pirates as these like drunk, just bizarre criminals that like just do whatever they want. But this is a really well set up system. And I think at least based on what you've said today and what I've read today, like they kind of rivaled in a way like this in a social welfare way, the governments that they were working under or against i mean the life of a pirate wasn't that bad compared to the life of a sailor in a lot of cases it appears i really want to make a joke about that pirate life for me song you said that (laughs) but you can see kind of the motivation for people to become pirates i mean if you can get past just the moral you know reservations about being a criminal and some of the more bloody bits of pirate life. Sure. But if you are in a poor situation and not have any way to provide for yourself or family, if you have it, it makes a lot of sense as to why someone would give up their life to choose this, especially if it yeah, can I mean, be as lucrative as it can be in the system Yeah, it's like an this. enormous amount of incentive. And I guess, I mean, that's probably just designed intentionally. Like you can't, recruit new people if your situation sucks right and it, it's a testament <laughs> to their success <laughs> so Chang Yat and Jing Shi used their influence to position this red flag fleet as the lead while they worked with these smaller coalitions and organized into a black white blue yellow and green flag fleets so they had this whole system of pirate groups Jeez. working together under the command of Chang Yat and Jing Shi And at its peak, the fleet grew to about 800 large ships, which were called junks, and 1,000 smaller ships. So 1,800 total ships with a crew of over 70,000 men and women. Jesus. That's insane. By comparison, a pirate that we know more than Jingxi, Blackbeard, only commanded about 300 ships and a crew of only a few thousand. So... A sixth? I mean, yeah, it's a it's an an enormous amount of people. I looked it up just to kind of compare because this is around the same time as the revolution was was going on. Yeah, and it, while overall over the course of the entire war, the Continental Army had about two hundred thirty thousand soldiers total. Now they only commanded about fifty thousand at any given time or less. So at any given time, <laughs> this fleet could have overwhelmed the american continental army so we're gonna pause right here to go into this 
alternate universe where Jing Shi sails across the, the globe and takes on the Continental Army, and we are now living in red flag China. states. Or red flag <laughs> of <laughs> red flag states of America. Women's suffrage wouldn't have taken as long. Probably true. <laughs> the death penalty would be way worse. I don't. I don't know that the whole due process thing would would be a thing. It is interesting to think about. Like, I mean, we talk about things that happen simultaneously in history and you don't really realize it mm. but at the same time that well i guess a few years after the united states was fighting fighting for its independence you have yeah. an equally massive army just floating off the coast of china <laughs> challenging right. the Qing empire do you know i mean uh, you might mention it in a bit but do you know if the red flag fleet had interactions with European powers. Yes. And we'll get to that a little bit later on. Okay. I, I thought you might get to that, but I was, I was curious how, I, I don't know. I think we all have a skewed version of the world from back then. And well, it comes with Europe and England, especially being very intercontinental at the time. Sure. A little down the road. We're now in 1807. While the Red Flag fleet was sailing off the coast of Vietnam, they encounter a typhoon, which kills Chang Yat. Now, th we've been referring to Jing Shi by the name she's most known as, Jing Shi, which literally translates to Widow of Chang. She's known by other names, mm. Chang Yi Sao, which is just wife of Chang, or Madame Chang often, but Jing Shi is what she's most known by, so we're just going to stick to that. Hmm. So her husband is killed in this typhoon off the coast of Vietnam, and their stepson Chang Po is installed as <laughs> their adopted the stepson adopted fisherman. <laughs> Chang Po is installed as commander of the Red Flag Fleet. But rival captains of the partner fleets want to remove Jing Shi as head of the pirate coalition. She uses the benefit of factions that are loyal to Chang Yat, including some of his nephews and cousins, to defend her and keep her in power eventually she was able to capture and arrest those who tried to overthrow her power and of course they were publicly beheaded to discourage future <laughs> attempted coups obviously i mean the public beheading is just a given here's where the story of jing Shi gets a little weird only two weeks after her husband's death Jing Shi marries her adopted stepson, Chang Po. Two, what? Two weeks? Two weeks. That's, that's what I'm responding to is two weeks. <laughs> Not the adopted stepson. This is, this is so, like a pirate version of Jerry Springer. <laughs> it's, it's weird, but it's believed that she had been having an affair with Chang Po. And I mean, maybe he, that's I mean, why. She's an adopted stepson. But... Yeah, not, not really related. And she's really not that much older than him. Like maybe only six to eight years, somewhere around there. Yeah. Scandalous. <laughs> but that's maybe why she so strongly encouraged her husband to make him the legal heir. Do you think she was like in on it the whole time? Like she was from the beginning, she was thinking like, you're going to die and... Well, that's I'm gonna what's get with this curious. Guy. You know, some of the circumstances around Chang Yat's death are a little suspicious. It could have been part of a long plan for Jing Shi to eventually consolidate power for herself with the help of hmm. Chang Po. What was to keep like what was to keep Chang Po from just taking over power and telling her to get lost? Well, there was obviously mutual attraction between the two. I mean, okay. Quickly went from step son step son mom to husband to <laughs> husband and partner <laughs> oh this feels so weird you're sure this was in china and not appalachia hey hey we might you have listeners to be woke. from appalachia you said not to be woke i'm trying to just disrespect people left and right let it be known that the history's b-side podcast does not discriminate against any people and I don't have a good follow-up to that because I was going to make a joke about like <laughs> Alabama or something. But we're not going to do that because we are not that type of podcast. And they weren't really related. My family's from Appalachia. 
I feel like I get to make that joke. Yeah, you should have started with that. Well, I finished with it. <laughs> Moving on to the pirate story. <laughs> anyway, the stories on how Chang Yacht actually died are not widely reported, at least not clearly. You know, it was believed that he died in a typhoon somewhere off the coast of Vietnam. Could have been an accident or he fell overboard. Some hint that he may it may have actually been Jing Shi or Cheng Po who killed him. There's some reports that maybe he died in some kind of a battle. So it is a little suspicious. Mm. I mean, we like to assume the best of our heroes and heroines on our podcast, but some of them aren't <laughs> the cleanest of people. I think many of them aren't the cleanest of people. So it could be a little suspicious. Might have been a little dirty attempt to one day get power for herself. Write to us and decide. Tell us what you think. From this point on, Jing Shi basically ran the fleet by herself. She had Cheng Po in charge of the Red Flag fleet, but she was in charge of the entire pirate coalition. As they would go on their, let's call them missions, the fleets would <laughs> raid and capture coastal villages. They robbed markets. They executed the men who tried to fight back. They would kidnap the women and children and hold them for ransom or sell them into slavery. Told you there'd be a little you slavery. You said no slavery. I said a little slavery. Ugh. Not a lot of slavery. That's fair. You did say that. Little bit of a shady background. She was still a pirate. Fair. Other towns, they took completely under pirate control, and these towns would work to supply the ships with food and other provisions. They hmm. ran the South China Sea. They would regulate ships that tried to pass through, taxing them, or if they refused to pay the taxes, they would raid and plunder the ships. So they were, in, in essence, like a government, like sort a self-established of. government. Yeah, all along the coast and throughout the sea, they were in control. And it, was, it did not go unnoticed by the Qing dynasty. They realized that Ooh, they were man. a problem that they needed to deal with. So the Chinese Navy was sent in 1808 to confront the red, red flag fleet in battle and try to subdue them they met and after only a few hours of fighting it was clear that the pirates were too powerful to be overthrown <laughs> just 800 ships i guess they probably didn't have their whole fleet with them at this point but they still had quite a few ships and the chinese navy was no match in fact as many of the naval fleets realized that they were going to die or that <laughs> It was not going well. Jing Shi actually offered the naval forces the chance to join the Red Flag fleet and spare them from being killed. We already kind of discussed the relative pros and cons of flipping and going to the pirate side. Did any of these sailors or ships accept this offer? Oh, her? yeah. <laughs> In total, the Red Flag fleet commandeered or sank 63 ships from the Qing Dynasty's naval fleet. Oh, 63 ships. This was a huge hit to the Qing dynasty and really cemented what a problem Jing Shi's red flag fleet was and a problem that needed to be dealt with by the Chinese government. That's wild. They just like smacked down a national naval fleet. <laughs> Get out of my face. This is my ocean. And you asked about some of the other European forces and how they interacted. Trade was still a very real thing between Europe and China and some of the other South Pacific nations that were established at this time. But some of these European countries, particularly like the East India Company, were very hesitant to get involved in this conflict, and they wouldn't even sail through after a few of their ships had already been captured or destroyed. And some of the European naval forces that recognized that the Red Flag Fleet was a problem didn't even want to get involved. They, they wouldn't send their own naval forces to That's crazy. try to fight them. I mean, if you know anything about like the power of the French or the British or the Spanish or the Portuguese Navy and the East India Company, like for these people to be like, no, we're not, we're not going to go down that road. <laughs> I think crazy. at some point it becomes almost like a business decision. Like, is the profits from that trade worth going over there to fight this naval battle? I mean, that's fair, but Jeez, I mean, I always, I mean, you read about the East India Company and they weren't messing around. Like they weren't, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't like a little group of boats. Oh, it's, no. it's wild. The pirates are scary. We're going to let them go. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I 
to compare like the the brutality and might of of what we're used to in colonial Europe to just be like, uh, you know, the silk's just not worth it. Just seems like a really like <laughs> I don't know complacent view to take. I mean, you can see the sheer power here because it was definitely something that they needed to address and a problem that they needed to take care of. But not yet. <laughs> well, by the fall of 1809, the Qing emperor realized that there was really no way for them to defeat and remove the Red Flag Fleet from the South China Sea. So they offered a compromise. If they surrendered, they would receive full amnesty. <laughs> oh my god. And Jing Shi, after having so much success, initially refused this offer. Of course. <laughs> Why not? But soon after, they were actually under attack by the Portuguese Navy, who had mm, decided to take on this challenge. <laughs> there it is. Now, the Red Flag the fleet had previously defeated the Portuguese Navy twice, but they came Jesus. back with bigger ships and more powerful weapons, and the Red Flag fleet was finally overmatched. So it was Portugal that did it. Portugal was like, nope, get out of here. Once Jingxi realized that they were facing defeat, they retreated and decided to accept the Qing Emperor's offer of amnesty. The entire crew was required to surrender their weapons and retire from pirating, but they were allowed to keep all of their loot, and most what? of them, including Jingxi, faced no repercussions. Some of the crew even received jobs with the Chinese government. This is stupid. This is this isn't even failure. This isn't even surrender. This is just success. This is the most successful you could hope to be as a career criminal in any government. They just got accepted back into society with no jail time. They kept all their money. This was just like she knew that they were unstoppable and was just going to keep going until you hit a brick wall that is the Portuguese Navy and you're like, "No, nah, you know what? We're good. We've made enough money." Let's just go retire and keep it easy. And the, the emperor was just like, we can't do anything about this. Literally, all we can do is just say, please stop. <laughs> like, let us have our country back. Yeah, I mean, we won't do anything. Just leave us alone. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it is a, a, a twisted admission of defeat by the emperor. He's just like, look, I'm not even going to convict you or punish you. Just please stop. In fact, I'll give you a job. <laughs> kind of makes you wonder if he felt the um empire was being threatened. Like, if he had let the Red Flag fleet continue, that they might be overthrown eventually. And this was just the only way that they had to say, okay, you win. Just Well, yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> stop. <laughs> if you consider the fact that, like, just looking at the reality that some of the most fierce, well-stocked wealthy well-armed navies in the world tried repeatedly to failure to defeat them until the portuguese navy apparently just you know went balls out to buy a bunch of big guns and ships and then they also defeated the chinese navy like i would be afraid too i'd be like we can't defeat them and like what do we do if they decide they just want control you kind of wonder, too, if the emperor even knew that they were getting defeated by the Portuguese Navy. I mean, I didn't really find that anywhere. <laughs> but it, <laughs> if they had maybe, like, rescinded their offer initially and just let the Portuguese Navy take care of them, they could have been fine. But it was almost like she said no and then realized they were screwed <laughs> and were like, you know what? Remember that deal you gave us? Yeah, we'll take it now. <laughs> yeah, now seems like a good time. That's wild. Even better than full amnesty, as a term of their surrender, Jingxi <laughs> and Changpo were allowed to retain 120 ships, which they used to engage legally in the salt trade. That's dumb. This is stupid. Th th I don't know how analogous this is, but this is like capturing an entire Mexican drug cartel. And then instead of punishing them, being like, look, if you stop, if you stop trading illicit drugs you can open up a chain of 120 cvs pharmacies in america like what is that not only do they get to keep all their money they face no jail time they get jobs if they want them but now they can keep part of their empire and just trade probably some of the same stuff they were stealing in the first place but trade it legally i thought this was kind of funny too 
Cheng Po and Jing Shi had two children together after they retired from pirate life, but Cheng Po was actually made a captain in the Guangdong Navy. <laughs> well, of course he was. He was like... And he helped them to fight existing pirates. I mean, he used his expertise <laughs> to help the Chinese Navy. Oh, man. So he's like a, a consultant. Pretty much. A it's criminal consultant. Like, <laughs> do you ever see the movie Catch Me If You Can? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Like that guy retires like from being a con artist and then helps the CIA or FBI yeah. or whoever it was find other check fraud and scam artists, things like that. They're, they're, they're PIs. They're pirate informants. <laughs> <laughs> Chang Po did eventually die at sea in 1822. And following his death, Jing Shi moved to Macau, China and used the wealth that she acquired during their pirate career to open a gambling house and, of course, a brothel. I'm sure, of course, the the innocent pirate queen just opens a gambling house and a brothel. I kind of wonder if she, like, taught her employees to be influential in the way that she was. I mean, obviously, none of them turned into these great pirate queens that she was, but she obviously knew what she was doing and was very... Yeah good at manipulating people that's crazy probably the biggest like testament to what a great pirate she was is just the fact that she died peacefully in her home surrounded by her family at the age of 69 she was never captured she was never killed she died of natural causes just from living a very full life and a very successful life well, this brings me back, like, I was listening to an NPR economics podcast, and they actually had one of the more well-known drug dealers from L.A. on, and he was talking about how, I mean, to be a drug dealer, it's a business, and, and how you work really hard. You work, in some ways, as hard as many entrepreneurs do to start this business, but it's a business with no positive end goal. You know, you can't get out if you don't get arrested you're probably going to get killed by a rival gang. And it's like, th- there's no positive end. And she found it. Like <laughs> she, well, yeah, she I managed mean, to be a criminal. You telling this kind of reminds me of, I know it's fiction, but uh, breaking bad, like the guy went yeah. into it to fund his cancer. And then at that point he couldn't get out. He said like, he wasn't just trying to re- raise a certain amount of money. Like he was in the empire business or whatever like he it became who he was and it maybe worked to her benefit that she accepted this amnesty deal from the emperor because then she could just be done she had all her wealth she didn't have to worry about constantly facing these battles you know fighting other pirates or fighting other nations navies or even just threats of her partner captains trying to overthrow her like she literally just went back to a normal life she had her wealth yeah and she could open her own brothel and gambling house. Well, I mean, she clearly was, I think a testament, like a a thought experiment that is a testament to her genius and, and leadership acumen is the fact that if you try to reproduce this today, right? Like a, a, a criminal enterprise that is big enough and strong enough and widespread enough to threaten a major country, the government's power in a way that would like force them to plead with you to re-enter their society with no repercussions, it would be a small nation. I mean, I said earlier this was like a government, it, but to do that today, to, I mean, to think think about like how much you would have to have going on, how organized and how widespread you'd have to be for like the U.S. government with the CIA and the FBI and all four branches of the military, five if you count Space Force. Um, bearing down on you and you're still so powerful hey you know what we're not going to get into Space Force right now Um. (laughs) so I hate this phrase but in a way she's kind of reflective of what we consider the American dream because obviously she's not American but like she was born into poverty in a terrible situation and she used her basically just her cleverness and I mean her looks probably didn't hurt and just her resilience and how smart she was to create her own success. Yeah. She's, I mean, she's believed to have commanded the largest and most successful pirate fleet in history. And she stood up to the Qing dynasty. 
I think it was like the fourth largest empire and in won. history, the Qing Dynasty. And yeah, she won. She probably made them feel threatened to the fact that they had to let her get away with it. I mean, it's akin to like a Roman woman running a fleet that told Alexander the Great, you know, GTFO. Like, you know, I, it's crazy. Like we said, what's impressive about her is that she was never defeated. She never faced any penalties for what she did. But like we said, she's still kind of forgotten behind even the less successful pirates like Blackbeard or Captain Morgan yeah. or Calico Jack. Well, they're on they're on booze bottles, many of them. <laughs> but they have stories too. And why isn't there, I don't know, some kind of liquor that's named after <laughs> Jingxi? All right, listeners who are into distilling, I'm going to need a rum named after Jingxi. And then when you make it, call us. We'll do an ad together. and Co-branded by the History's B-Side podcast. We want royalties and rights. I'll throw up some cash <laughs> for well, the distillery. We will drink it during every podcast unless it's gross. Please don't like, that's poison true. us with I, something gross. Yeah, I mean, I'll that's drink the it even most if it's important gross. thing. Don't poison us. <laughs> Yes, that is uh, that is high on my priority list. It can be gross, just don't have it be lethal. That's my baseline. <laughs> <laughs> Though she is sort of ignored in the, you know, remembering of these famous pirates, she does make one sort of notable appearance in American pop culture. You probably wouldn't mm. even recognize it if you weren't looking for it. But in the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which was titled at world's end she appears as one of the nine pirate lords <laughs> that's the, awesome the meeting i'm gonna have to watch brethren or whatever that scene is called i have to watch that more than forrest gump now just because that seems like a cooler scene and i actually think that i don't know the exact setting of those movies but i don't think the timeline actually lines up so it it is kind of cool that they i mean it probably doesn't at least had a somewhat historical reference i think the character's name is I don't know, Lady Chang or something similar, but not exactly Jingxi. But it is cool that they had that little tie in there. You know, yeah, that's the only thing I could really find that was close to representative of her story in anything that we would even recognize. Anything even American. I feel like those movies, based on what I've read about them, went into a fair bit of detail trying to make things authentic. I mean, I don't think they were exact historical replicas or... or... There was no Captain Jack Sparrow on, that took on the East India Trading Company? There wasn't, but he's based on a real pirate, John Ward, who was called the Sparrow and was very flamboyant. That was almost going to be one of your trivia questions. But... So next week on the History's B-Side podcast, which is now just a pirate podcast. <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad idea. We could just drink rum and just every episode is a pirate. There's enough of them. Spin we should have spent this whole episode talking like pirates. You want to do the, the quiz Arr. section like that? <laughs> I don't know if I can do a proper pirate accent. Let's give it a shot. I have to be like pretty drunk. I'm going to have a cup of rum here. So, all right, we're going to take a little ad break. Matt's going to get drunk and we're going to talk like pirates. Arg. We'll be right back. Hey, it's your old buddy Rick Garrett, host and creator of Rick's Rambles Podcast. Every Monday morning, we do 15 minutes of trivia and fun facts and a feel-good story of the week, memories of the 60s and 70s, and much, much more. Join me every Monday morning, Rick's Rambles Podcast, on your favorite podcast provider. All right, welcome back. So we like to end every episode with a short quiz for the host uh, to kind of measure our knowledge and, and what we've gained through learning about the topic and also to give our listeners something fun to kind of challenge themselves and see how much they know. So did we abandon the pirate accents? Oh, arg, my bad. <laughs> do I have to do this? I don't even know if this is a pirate accent <laughs> at this terrible. point. <laughs> I'm not good at pirate accents. <laughs> so bad. Arg. What is a pirate's favorite letter? R. Come on, you're gonna hit me with that. I. You got that correct. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the plant. He got me. So, I I have a couple questions here. They're more 
general pirate trivia facts concerned than specific Zheng Shi facts. I only uh, studied one covered, pirate. Well, you you covered it very thoroughly, and you'd be surprised how like hard it is to find like concise pirate trivia. There's a lot of conflicting information out there about pirates, and even some of my questions, I found many different accounts, so I figured just some general pirate trivia would be a good way to end the episode. Bring it on. So, in pop culture and in many of our literature, Hollywood references to pirates, the most common symbol of them is the Jolly Roger, the black flag with the skull and crossbones. But this name the jolly roger originated from a french term for a flag of what color that was popular among pirate groups again we're looking for the color of the flag i feel like i've read this before and now i'm trying to like see if i know any french words that might be like sort of in that realm i'll give you a hint so Jolly Roger is believed by historians to be a mispronunciation of a French word describing this flag. Is it red because rouge red? Yep. So the the French term is Jolly Rouge, which was pretty red. And pirate crews would put up this red flag to signal no mercy, which meant we're going to kill everybody who tries to resist. Bang, bang. the Anglican English mispronounced this allegedly as Jolly Roger, and that's how it got its name. So one good. for one. It's one for one. My second question. For most of this episode, I've been switching back and forth between two drinks, beer and another drink that I've fashioned for myself in theme of the episode. Now, this was based on a famous pirate drink, their drink of choice, if you will, called Grog. Can you name the four main ingredients of grog? One should be perfectly obvious. Do you always make themed drinks for our episodes? I don't. And I mean, you and I talked about doing it for every episode. And honestly, I found this an this hour like before we started recording. This is like the first episode find an actual theme drink I for. I know. I'm so mad. I found this when I was looking for your trivia questions. And I was like, dang it. We could have made this and like talked about it. We need to be more on top of it next time. So it's got to be rum. That is one. <laughs> think of the time i mean this isn't it's not like there's vermouth in it like it's sugar mm-hmm. water yes that's three water and i don't know i gotta guess something you need an acid to balance out the sweetness lemon lime yep Which lemon one? lemon so the main, yeah, the main components were that sounds rum, water, sugar, and lemon. it's honestly not bad. I'm having it cold. It historically was consumed hot. So I also didn't measure out like a recipe. I just kind of dumped in whatever seemed like it would taste good. <laughs> and to be fair, I'm using coconut flavored Malibu rum because that's what I have. So it's not a Caribbean not pirate. Exact, well, I get it. I understand that. But it's what I had. I'm not, I wasn't going <laughs> to run to the store an hour before a podcast to get a special kind of rum. But I do imagine, I mean, it does seem like it would be pretty good. There are some recipes that I saw that call for like, um, I mean, it, it honestly, for the most part, calls for dark rum because it's supposed to be similar to, I guess, a hot toddy where it's a warm drink. So you want a darker rum. But a couple recipes I saw call for brown sugar. Oh, that'd be good. I was lazy. I just used simple syrup. <laughs> So you just completely made it wrong. I mean, yeah, I made it with what I had in the cabinet. Follow us on your favorite social media at History's B-Side. We will share the recipe and Matt's trash recipe. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's all right. I think it's it's pretty good. Are you buzzed? Is it serving its purpose? It's serving its purpose. It's... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's, it's, it's serving its purpose. It's serving its purpose. Yes. <laughs> And for your third and final trivia question, one of, I mean, there are many icons and myths about pirates in pop culture that are misguided, but one that holds some water is the eye patch. What was the main use of the eye patch for pirates? I know this one. Man, I did good on this round. Yeah. Maybe I made them too easy. 
to help the pirates see at night. Mm-hmm. And below deck. Oh, okay. In the dark. I, that's really what I was yeah. going with that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair. You, you got it. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I, I think, I mean, I assumed it was for a more gruesome purpose in that they had just lost like eyes in battle. <laughs> like, yeah. But apparently they, they used it specifically even during the day to like go from the bright sun to below deck where it was dark to, to see well yeah. in the lower parts of the ship, which is interesting. I got question one, question three, three. three and three fourths of question two that that might be the, that might be the is that the first the, time uh, we've gotten all of our trivia questions right i think so i mean i don't know what you win Woo! but yeah <laughs> that's the first time one of us has gotten all three right we're getting better we're studying drunk i'm not drunk cheers buddy <laughs> thank you so much for listening join us next week for another episode of history's b-side History's B-Side is an independent, listener-supported podcast. Leave us a review or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting service and follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at History's B-Side. Send us your feedback or inquire about sponsorship and advertising opportunities by emailing us at podcast at historiesbside.com. You can support the show by becoming a member or making a one-time contribution at historiesbside.com. While you're there, check out our merch shop, extras, and more. This episode was researched and produced by your hosts, Matt Melito and Philip Hall. Thanks for listening to History's B-Side.